Welcome to the Battling Pickle Podcast. My name is Dr. John Westfall, and I am an Associate Professor of Psychology at Delta State University, where our unofficial mascot is the Fighting Okra, hence the name Battling Pickle. This podcast feed is where I put all of my podcast content for my classes, whatever I'm teaching in psychology, first year seminar, across the board, it all goes in this feed. So if you are listening to this for class and you think, I wonder what else is here, you can look in our catalog and the back issues. And if you are being required to listen to it, you can subscribe beyond your class experience with me because I know you will enjoy my class so much, you'll want to keep hearing from me. And of course, this is open to everyone else on the internet that might stumble across it. So let's get into today's episode. So if you've been listening to the podcast over the last couple of weeks as part of my Summer 1 Psychology of Learning graduate course, you know that episode 4 was about the major project. Major project is something that I assign in multiple classes. This summer, it focused on career ties, intentionality, and using material from educational psychology in your career. And I have just finished over the last three days or two days grading the major projects that have been submitted. And I wanted to take some time to bookend episode four here in episode nine and talk about my reactions to them, some of the common trends that I saw, some of the things that quite honestly, I hope if I put this out there, if you did it, if you're one of the students that submitted one of those things, you go, oh, wow, I'm, I did something really cool. I, you know, my professor liked it. If you didn't do it, maybe you'll think about doing it for a future assignment. And if you are one of my students coming into that particular psychology of education class, or I'm sorry, um, well, educational psychology, psychology of learning class, if you are coming into it, maybe you'll go, huh, maybe this is some some warning for future stuff. And if you're one of my undergraduate students in future semesters and you're listening to this going, does this apply to me? Yes. Uh, My standard really isn't graduate versus undergraduate. It's more the amount and depth of the content. So if I've assigned a major project in your class and you're just in a junior level or sophomore level class, you still want to heed these tips. So like I said, I had 26 to 28 of these to grade over the last couple of days, and I've come up with some things that I found very interesting. The first is Not many people chose the traditional route. The traditional route here was to do a research paper. And that, you know, takes time and takes empirical evidence and takes citations. And we had about maybe two or three of those, not very many of the the total. And they were very well done. They were very well executed, followed APA style like they were supposed to, good references. Um, My biggest concern with research papers is always road mapping it, basically saying at the beginning, here's what I'm going to talk about, here's the order I'm going to talk about, and then holding the reader's hand throughout. I saw some good transitions in the papers, but I didn't always see that intro section that literally told the reader, here's where we're going to go and why we're going there. Otherwise, if you don't do that, you set up a situation where it's a very much stream of consciousness. The reader is going through going, okay, I don't I don't really know why we just talked about this when we're now talking about this. And wow, I didn't think we were going to go here, but now we're talking about this. You really want to set up at the beginning of a paper that, you know, you don't get any points for, spo- for uh, you know, preserving a twist ending when it comes to writing a research paper. Spoilers are definitely allowed. Your first paragraph or second paragraph should literally have some sort of 
sentence in it that goes, in this paper, I will start by discussing blank, and then I will go on to discussing how it's related to this. Then finally, we will bring it to here. And then at the end, I will wrap it all up by reviewing it. Just set that out at the beginning and your reader will thank you because it'll help them understand why you're going in the directions you're going. A research paper that's 15 to 20 pages, you know, the reader's going to forget by page two why you said something on page one. And by page five, they're certainly not going to remember what the two bigger topics were that you already talked about with six more topics to go. So you definitely want to have that roadmap, as I call it basically a good strong introduction and a good strong conclusion at the end that wraps it all up. So if people were not doing research papers, what were they doing? I'd say the majority of students submitted a narrated PowerPoint or a screencast of some sort. You can do this a couple of different ways. So PowerPoint does have the ability to record narration and timing, which means that as you Look, look at your own PowerPoint show. You can literally talk into your computer's microphone. It'll record that. It'll record your timings. So as you press the space bar, whatever key you're going to use to advance your slide, it will know that, okay, we spend 25 seconds on this slide, 15 seconds on this slide, and it'll autoplay your narration, which is a really great feature. One Only one person didn't have it autoplay, which was a little bit distracting because uh, I had to then hit the the sound bite every time, but usually this is all done automatically. And then PowerPoint will actually let you save it as a video file. Uh, in my syllabus, I actually put a number of links in the technology section in my course syllabus that take you to Microsoft's webpage where they walk you through doing this. So if you've never done a narrated PowerPoint, I suggest you do that and, or at least look into it. Or people used Zoom or Google Meet or Screencast-O-Matic or some other way to record them visually presenting the material. And that worked fairly well. Uh, so what about these narrated PowerPoints and presentations? Well, first of all, I had put on the major project that I was expecting these to be about 10 to 15 minutes. And I'd say at least half of them were over 15 minutes. Some of them stretched into almost 30 minutes, which is a bit much for two reasons. One, it's a bit much when you're grading these things to have to watch all 30 minutes. And I did because that's sort of the reason you're paying me is to watch your content. And I did. But do you really have 30 minutes of content is the second issue that's really more important. And in a few cases where people hadn't fully rehearsed what they were going to talk about, they rambled and they didn't quite know what they wanted to say. A couple of people had a script. And they even gave me the script with the narrated PowerPoint. And they deviated here and there from the script as the mood struck them, as the spirit guided them, as they would say here in the South, uh, in the Bible Belt. But they, uh, they were able to pull it off. They were able to do something that was coherent. And they typically did not ramble on. So the biggest problem I saw with those narrated PowerPoints was they ran a little long. They kind of rambled. They weren't as sharp and focused. The second thing that I saw that was a problem with the narrated PowerPoints and the third category that I'll get to in a minute was the lack of empirical research evidence. And I'll talk more about that in a moment after I talk about the third type of submission I got. But narrated PowerPoint, great medium. It was great to see a visualization. The storytelling worked very well in that case, uh, all of that. 
The last piece were people that did something like what you're listening to right now, a podcast or a video podcast. In one case, it was a 35-minute interview between two teachers. They'll, those could go either way, They're, and even go either way within the same episode. So, I'm, you know, if you're the person, if you're listening to this and you did the 35-minute interview, there were parts of that that were very nicely directed and very well and targeted, and then there were parts that were rambling on. And if you were watching it again, I'm sure you would be able to identify those same parts. The problem with podcasting and the problem with video podcasting is something that was actually alluded to in that video podcast. The presenter said, you know, I had notes, um, but I, I've kind of jumped all over the place. You have to have notes for a podcast. You can't let that just be another stream of consciousness. I have notes that I'm looking at right now as I record this. If you've noticed, the structure of this thus far has been that I talk about the three different types of submissions, and I'm going to give some general comments toward the end. So I had a structure in mind when I started recording this. And it's something that you have to be able to be comfortable doing. If you've never done a podcast before, if you've never done a video podcast before, you need to practice those sorts of skills. I have recorded now on this podcast. This is the ninth episode of Battling Pickle. I have been a co-host on the mobileviews.com podcast for almost eight years now and recorded 200 episodes or so there. You get better at it over time. You get better at not stumbling over your words. You get better at slowing down and varying your pace, but it takes effort. And I didn't mark off any points because you weren't good at it. Obviously, for a lot of people, this is the first time they ever tried something like that. And I was very encouraged that a couple of people said, I want to make this a regular thing. In fact, if you do that, if you did a podcast for my class and you're thinking, I want to make this a regular thing, I want to be a podcaster, I think that's great. Definitely shoot me an email and let me know where you where I should subscribe to your podcast. And I will subscribe and uh, participate to the best of my ability as a listener. So we had three different types of submissions. What was good? What needed improvement? Well, the good were the visualizations and the storytelling the narrated PowerPoints, and even the podcast. So you don't think of a podcast as a visualization medium, but you have to remember, as people are listening to you, they're visualizing something. And last night, one of the podcasts that I listened to was actually uh, listened to in a very podcast-esque space. I was literally on a walk, and I know a lot of people in the exercise listen to podcasts. I do. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts while I walk. So I was out walking, and I was listening to a podcaster talk about their personal life and talk about they were introducing themselves because it was the first episode of their podcast because they were required to record a podcast for my class project. Uh, and I thought, you know, I could sort of visualize the person's life and visualize where they were in life. They were talking about upcoming events in life. And I thought, well, I remember that time in my life when I was getting ready to do, the, do those things. So visualization is great. People can see what you're talking about. The slides that I saw had a lot of good visual content, a lot of engaging content, good use of fonts and good use of color and all of those things. And the storytelling was really great throughout, I would say, at least half of the presentations, probably more like three quarters to almost all of them, had some sort of level of storytelling where people were sharing about their experiences in the classroom, outside the classroom, their experiences 
one student was talking about things that she was doing outside the classroom to support her students in that area because the area that she's teaching in, like many of them in Mississippi, is very uh, low socioeconomic status. And she was talking about some of the opportunities that her students have in order to grow not just their academic skills, but their social skills, all those things, and job experiences. So visualize and storytell, great, great things. What needed improvement? Well, the biggest thing, and it's really the only thing, and I'd say I probably took off points for the majority of the submissions because of this, were in citations referencing and where did you get that information? Now, partially, this is because this is a psychology class and I am a psychology professor. So that means that when I talk about something in my classes or I go to a research presentation, I'm used to someone saying, how do you know that? Where did you get that? How can you make that statement? So something I say that sounds very much like opinion, I'm usually able to come up with a reference or two on the fly to say, well, this is the researcher you want to look at, or here is the terms you want to look up, or let's find some information on that. It's sort of second nature. You have to be able to have a citation or reference. Where did you get that? In education, this is a little more nebulous, and I realize this is a big point of contention, uh, disciplinary-wise, but you are in a psychology class, so that's why you're hearing me say this. If you are pointing out other people's work, it is not sufficient to simply have at the end of your slides, oh, here's this website that I got all this off of. Well, which sections of this 30-slide presentation did you get off of that website? Did you get 29 out of the 30 slides off of that website? Did you get one out of the 30 slides? You didn't have any quotation marks around anything. I don't know. In many cases, I was doing some Google searching on direct quotes from presentations this uh, last couple of days, finding the website. And thankfully, everyone had cited the website. But you can't just copy and paste giant amounts of content from a website and then at the end of it say, oh, yeah, I got everything from this website. That's plagiarism. If it's not in your own words, it's plagiarism. And I allowed some of that as long as there was a reference. But strictly to form, if you were writing a research paper, all of that would have had to have been cited. But because this project was a little looser in its definition, I cut people a little bit of slack. But you can't just copy and paste off a website and then at the end of the presentation say, oh, yeah, a lot of this came from this website. The other problem is... The people who had multiple references, you might have had 20 references on your reference slide. A few people got that many references in. That was great. Problem is, I don't know what they matched up to. So that first website or that first journal article that you linked to, was that something you talked about at the beginning? Was that something you talked about at the end of your presentation? Was that just background reading that you had for your presentation? So... One of the things that you really, really want to make sure you do, and if you are listening to this, preparing a major project for me for summer 2, 2021, or any time in the future, you want to make sure that when I tell you in your abstract, you want to make sure you have references. You want to make sure you have empirical, peer-reviewed references. Empirical, peer-reviewed means journal article. You want to have those, and you want to be able to cite them. And if you are talking about them in a slide, it's not a bad idea at the end of a statement to 
maybe drop the font a couple of sizes, put in parentheses, you know, Smith and Johnson, 2025, you know, because you time travel to the future and found an article that isn't published yet. Smith and Johnson 2019 or something like that. You want to have those citations, those parenthetical citations, so that if I am a viewer of your professional development or a viewer of your slideshow, and I go, wow, that was great information. I want to know more. I know exactly what to go to in the reference slide. I don't have to go through 10, 15 references and hope that I find where you got that content. So needs improvement, needs improvement on plagiarism, prevention, citations, references, empirical peer-reviewed articles. If you don't know what a peer-reviewed article is, if you don't know what I mean by empirical, please do ask. Peer-reviewed means it went through the peer review process. Empirical means it's based on data, not just someone's opinion. And in education, a lot of things that appear to be important are really just opinions masquerading as important. You want to find where they say, we looked at this data and we make this judgment based on the data, not just based on our good feelings and hunches and happy thoughts. That's fine if we're talking informally, but when we're creating an actual research piece, we want to have the empirical data. So overall, I know this podcast has run a little longer than the ones that I typically record, but I hope you've gotten some things out of this. Uh, if you just did submit a major project to me uh, on how you did well and what you could do better, and if you are planning on submitting a major project to myself or another professor, you've got kind of my reactions to them. I really enjoyed teaching psychology of uh, learning this summer, and I really will enjoy it in the next month as I teach it again to a new group of students. I will force myself to. That was a very declarative statement about my ability to tell the future, but I believe I will enjoy it again in the future. And I hope that if you were in the class, you enjoyed it. And you can feel free to continue to subscribe to this podcast feed and get more content from me about this and then in the fall about the topics I'll be teaching on then. That has been uh, my thoughts. So I hope that if uh, you are done with your classes for the summer, a few people were saying that they are graduating at the end of summer one. Uh, congratulations to you. I know it's been a long journey. This has been another episode of the Battling Pickle podcast. I very much enjoyed having you take a listen through. If you would like to interact with the podcast, we are hosted on anchor.fm. You can go to anchor.fm slash battling pickle and see all of the previous shows right there. You can also send me a message through anchor.fm. You can actually record an audio message and I might be playing it in a future episode. You can also go to my website, johnwestfall.com, and click on Battling Pickle Podcasts, and you'll be able to find the show notes for every episode and all of the things that I reference in those episodes. I hope that you have a very good day, and I hope to hear from you, either in feedback or have your ears tuned back in to a future episode.